pick one thing a year to selfishly lean into and get better at. Just one thing. All right, welcome to the Field Famous Podcast brought to you by Field Routes, a show that shines a light on the field service industry and the dedicated professionals that grind every day on their journey to success. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. Before we begin, I want to remind you that the best way to get this show and new episodes is to subscribe on your favorite pod player, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts is. You can find this show there, so please follow or subscribe. If you prefer to watch the show on the interview, we do have a video format you can find on YouTube, so please go there and subscribe. And last but not least, please leave us a five-star review if you're loving the show on Apple Podcasts. Now, today our guest is Dr. Cassie Krejci, board-certified entomologist and director of technical services at Renekill Terminex. Cassie, are you ready to be field famous? I've been anxiously awaiting, and Um, yes. All right. Uh, My answers to that are getting better. There's a full disclosure for everyone listening. I've been telling the guests of the show that I'm asking that question. I was just telling uh, Cassie that it kind of catches them off guard. And some people are look seem like they've been ready for it, and some people don't. And so I've been being uh, giving them a little bit of time to come up with an answer. So I appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate you doing this. And I'm excited to talk to you because you have a very unique uh, perspective and skill set that I think um, will be of great interest to everybody listening to the show, and selfishly for me as well um, as a uh, PhD sort of um, you know com- compatico over here. So yeah. um, the first thing, Cassie the Bug Doc, right? I saw that, which is a Great, great marketing little thing, by the way. I love that, Cassie, the bug doc. Thank you. I want to understand why bugs, why entomology. Tell me where that came from, because when I was looking through and some, uh, you know, in your academic background, it seems like you've been, you went through that from Kyle, from from like bachelor, from the beginning, right? It wasn't something that came on. Did you always think this? Tell me a little bit about how that was born before we get to where you are now at Terminix Renekill. Yeah, I um so I a lot I get the question a lot, you know, you must have been one of those kids that played with bugs a lot when you were little and I honestly didn't. <laughs> I I don't remember being introduced to insects from the science perspective when I was a kid. I, I definitely have those first um, memories of interacting with insects, but I definitely wasn't creating insect collections. So I I went to Texas A&M as an undergraduate student to become a veterinarian like Ah. every other kid in Texas. (laughs) Is that like a big um, Texas thing? Is that real? Well, we have one veterinary school in the state. And so if you're going to go to Texas A&M, that's what your goal is. I got it. Um, and, and I, and I thoroughly did enjoy that science, but I do remember, um, I don't know if you remember from undergrad, you're sitting around your first lab and everybody's like, let's go around and introduce ourselves and say where we're from and what we're majoring in. And I do remember this girl in a biology class, she said, I'm so-and-so and and I'm an entomology major. And I just like looked and I was like, I'm sitting there as biomedical science with the doctors and the dentists and the future Mm -hmm. veterinarians. And I was like, why would your parents pay for you? To become an entomologist. To me, that was like underwater basket Did you have a good awareness of what it was, though? I knew that it was insects, but I didn't have a concept of how anyone would make a career out of insects. Correct. Which would make sense at the time you were. And I, by the way, I was that pre-med sort of bin, you know, and then later became became biochemistry, molecular biology. But I was just like one of those numbers of, I felt like everybody else, it was kind of boring, you know? And it was like, when you're going to school to be a doctor and or a vet, possibly, the classes you're taking freshman year in college are so not related to that. You know, it's very boring and different. And you're just like, all right, what are we doing here? So I imagine, what, did you start looking? When did you start to say, mm, maybe vet is not for me? 
Yeah, no, that's exactly how it happened is I took an elective of veterinary entomology and I sat back there and I go, this is the applied side of what I really right. want to do. <laughs> I right. Said, so you found what you act, what you really liked within the vet sort of folder that or, exactly. Or so I, you know, I said, you know, what I really want to do is protect um, public health from disease through, you know, livestock and, um, you know, animal animals, a huge part of that uh, mm -hmm. public health sector. So um, I ended up deciding, you know, maybe if vet school wasn't the way to do that, I could do research and do what I really wanted to do. And it, you know, it's definitely that first decision that set me off on this career that's made me incredibly happy. But I will say when I called my mom and said, you know, I'm not going to go to vet school. I'm going to try to do research. She was like, what, what what does that mean? I know. I you know, the same are, thing. are you going to own a pest control company? And I was like, well, might. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I imagine it's not it's not the thing that moms or dads want to sit down and brag about to like, well, my daughter now is in for entomology. She it's much better to be like she's going to be a veterinarian, and they're like, well, yeah. all right. So it was it was definitely a lot of unknowns, and I think that was probably the scary part for someone's parents to be like, all right, wait, wait, wait. We were we were considering you as like this pre vet, and now you're an entomologist. I will say, whenever they saw the outcome of that switch, I think they were like definitely yeah. on board okay. pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> when, where did you start to see, because what I've learned um, just about understanding the industry is the application of this specialty in the industry and how it really matters. Also had a, have a much better appreciation for the public health side of pest control and pest management. Um, you know, as a homeowner, you just think like, you can call a pest control company, they're gonna help you get something out of your house. But there's a really broad, more significant impact on the broader public health. You really are changing the life of somebody. I've talked about that on the show with a lot of people like in a lot on a lot of different ways when did you when do you start to learn about the applied or application of that major of that specialty to the broader industries or world did they start to talk to you about that like in college as you specialize junior senior year or is it just like when did you start to see the potential of it yeah i uh, i tell i say this a lot but from the undergraduate perspective we do a terrible job as a professional pest management industry of campaigning to that, that audience. I had no understanding of professional mm. pest management when I left undergrad and went into, um, into my master's degree. I guess the first time I've really began to see the applicability on public health, um, was during my master's degree research. I was using plant secondary compounds, dried and, um, and kiln to control, um, housefly populations. So you could inhibit bacterial growth, which immature houseflies rely on mm -hmm. by just drying some plants and sprinkling it over a substrate where they would develop. And so we were able to take that practice over to, um, third world countries and say, here's local plants mm. that contain these compounds. If you dry them, you can put them in latrines and prevent fly development, which ultimately prevents spread right. of disease in your communities. Right. And, and that was the first real world applicable. Like a real connection to, yes. yeah, yeah. Like I loved the science, but, um, between that and even just the conversation with friends and family about what are you doing these days? Um, it, that became the driving force behind a lot of what I do now is that you can be a scientist and you can know everything there is to know about pest management or an insect. But if you aren't able to communicate the value Correct. to your customer, to your, to your audience, then what does it really mean? 
Correct. So. Well, you, I can just tell by, by speaking to you and just looking at some of the things in your career, you have this a very good ability to communicate and speak. And I think what makes, makes a big, the biggest difference among scientists, especially PhD scientists, is not many of them, them, the broad uh, mm -hmm. academic um, can do that very well. It's a, it's, it's, um, it's an acquired skill, soft skill amongst PhD biomedical scientists or scientists is real tough. In fact, there's a business, a lot of industry and coaching in that space because being able to articulate, not just like you're saying, you're doing it in a way, I think that's a, that's a little bit harder too, where you're trying to go to lay people or people that might not understand. So you're breaking it down. But even if you're trying to communicate your own scientific findings, there's a way to do that, um, that hits and resonates better. And uh, it's lacking in, in a lot of the, <laughs> of the space. Maybe it's gotten better. I've been out of the academic world for a while. Um, that research that you were talking about, was that your doctoral work or is that just something you were doing in, in, in undergrad or along the way? That was my master's degree work. That was your master's degree work. And then in your doctoral work, did you do something different? What did you focus yep. on there? Yep. I moved. Um, so my P my PhD, my doctoral work was a little bit different because I did um, my doctorate in the Rollins Urban Structural um, Entomology Facility at Texas A&M under Dr. Roger Gold. And that lab is based, um, it is a endowed, uh, endowed department okay. of the entomology department. Okay. And so it is, it is funded by industry, um, support. Okay. And so my, my day job, if you will, was not just teaching students in class, but doing contracted research and supporting okay. manufacturers. But my research, the part that was actually my doctoral publication was, um, controlling, um, biting midges, which are, um, a cousin of the mosquito of, and then the vector, um, controlling them in confined animal facilities okay. and um, stopping the spread of disease in confined animal production. Okay. And this seems like a big problem and question. So when you, whenever you have that, and for everyone listening, like we're going to get, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like, we're talking about this geeky science stuff. We will get out of this, I promise. Um, how do you focus that question? Is it, was there a certain area of research going on? Like that seems like a, that's a problem and there are different reasons for the problem. And you're probably trying to research some of them or look for an application to solve it. So was there uh, like, was there a particular avenue you were looking at how to control that? Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, a huge part of public health is protecting our food supply and food supply includes more than just crops right. and it, it, it includes protecting the proteins that we eat like cattle and sheep and, um, all of that. And so this specific insect was a vector of a disease that killed, um, livestock like cattle and uh, sheep. And so that was a vehicle to control, uh, sorry, the research was a vehicle to help protect our food supply. Okay. All right. And that you were, it's funny for people that are listening and for PhD programs, there's no defined end to it in most cases of time. Like you just kind of go into it. There's like a range. People finish a doctoral degree anywhere from, if you hit the ball out of the park and you catch a ride of luck, maybe you can do it in four and a half years, maybe, but it goes, it can go seven, seven and a half, eight years. God help you if it does. Do you want to hear something wild? What, you, you finished in three? Because I'll hang I up do. this phone on you if you tell me that right now. <laughs> so I do encourage graduate students to not only, you know, graduate students that talk, that talk to me and say, how do you do it? I say, walk in and know exactly what you expect and have that expectation conversation with your future PI. But also principal have a conversation investigator about, for everybody that's listening. Sorry. Yes, sorry. your principal investigator, the person you're going to work for and have the conversation about how long it's going to take. Um, so beginning to end, I started in May and ended three years later in wow. May. Look at you. I was, uh, my, my, I was under five. I was at four and a half years. Um, and, um, 
but I've known people to go a lot longer. And I say to them at some point is diminishing returns. Like if you're going to be there for eight years, like what are you doing? Like you're, you're missed. Something isn't right. This isn't, this something went drastically wrong or your advisor is not, not a good advisor because any good graduate advisor should not be promoting an environment where you're kind of stuck there for that long. So that, that seems to me, but, but where I was going with that is my family would be like, when are you done? When are you graduating? And the answer is always like, I'm not sure. And to them, they were like, what does that mean? How do you not know, right? So that was always like a weird thing in the in the academic world, the PhD program. It's like, I don't really know, but I hope to be done by this time. And um, then I did a postdoc. Did you do a fellowship or did you go right I into did a, industry? I did a postdoc for only about four months before okay, I went straight into industry. And you stayed where you were to do that? Or did you, yeah. okay. Um, so you go out into the world of industry. We always say, oh God, I lost what my friends would say, the, to the dark side is what they would say like academics yeah. versus industry. Um, you're going to go to the dark side, the dark side, you're going to make more money, but it's not as pure, which I hated that argument. Um, but that was just, I felt like with, with jealous academics would say to those in the in, in industry. It's life. scary. You know, people are really comfortable in academia and I understand that it's scary, but you know, I got the same comments that, oh, well, you know what they do when you go to industry, they put a, you know, they put a syringe in your brain and they suck out all the integrity. Exactly. And I was, you have no freedom. There's no creativity. Yeah. yeah that's not true. And I was driven to prove that wrong. I was driven to say, look, we can do the same research. We can communicate more broadly. We can just do it faster and, you know, be compensated a little bit better. Correct. Um, yeah, compensation in the academic world is a whole nother story. Um, so your first stop in the in your industry setting in your career was where? I um, went to a venture capital out of Dallas called um, Polyguard Products. Okay. Um, they manufactured what's called a term barrier, so non-termiticide um, building envelope solutions. Okay, so this was like a barrier, a solution to inhibit or something like that past or termites in particular or past the Correct. command? Okay, all right. And th so, in, so the, how was that jump? Like what was your... How did you, cause that's a big jump, right? You leave academics, you're here, you're seeing a different life. What was that like? Did you enjoy it? Was it challenging all of the things? It was interesting. I think it was, um, I talk a lot about communication when I teach social media. And I think that was the first time that I had to learn um, how to spread the information a little bit differently. Now I'm not just talking to students. I was hired into this company as um an entomologist speaking to architects, speaking to material scientists about why pest control is important and why cooperation with um, pest control companies and um, being a true connector in the building industry was important. So um, it was scary for one, <laughs> you know, yep. your first jump out of academia yep. is scary. Um, but also um, it was thrilling. And I think that I knew that industry is where I wanted mm -hmm. to stay. I enjoyed it. And you feel like you, were, you did the right thing. Like you were on the right path. You really yeah. enjoyed it. No, that's, so that's yeah. awesome. Cause a lot of people I've heard they don't have that, right. They're just, or, or, and, or that overwhelm, that scariness overwhelms the excitement too much, right. Where it's like, you're yeah. too, the trepidation is too strong and you can't really get into it. But I would say like, if you truly love it, just let it, just go with it, just go for it, you know, just let, let it be. And it should just come out and work itself through. Yeah. I think what supported that excitement was, you know, that first year you're going to conferences like Pest World for the first time. Right. And I remember like my first descriptor of it to anybody outside of the industry was like, it's the Super Bowl of pest yeah, control. That's what we say too. You, you walk exactly. in like, how could I not make sure that I'm here every year? Right. Exactly. It really is so. the Super Bowl. Of pest <laughs> it's like the best way to describe it. Um, so you're there for a few years. Is that right? And then you go to MGK? Yeah, I was there for probably three years. Okay. And then your next stop was MGK? 
Is that right? MGK. Okay. And so there, was it a different role? Tell me about a little bit about that role. Right. Um, so I've always been in technical services. I, um, was, um, pretty independent at term. I had a, you know, a small team, but, um, at MGK, I got into, um, the chemical side of things where, um, I now had the great opportunity of working with a team of technical specialists from a whole lot of different backgrounds. Um, I say that, but you know, my boss, um, it was, his name was Chris Swain and he came from Texas A&M and then I had two other people from Texas oh A&M on my team too, all distributed across the country, but coming from very similar, uh-huh. you know, labs. And, um, that was a really, um, and it was just, it was a great experience because not only did I get to further support pest control and continue to stay, um, connected to the, this industry, I got a look into product development in the insecticide world. And that's where I really learned, um, most of my foundation about, um, regulatory processes, um, material formulations, but also the consumer side of pest management. What okay. does it take to communicate, um, to a, to a true end user. Right. Right. It's so, you know, it's like making the sausage. Like you were actually able to see, you know, at a pest control company, they have what they're, what they apply and what they're using. Um, but you were there where, where it was being researched and formulated. Is that right? And how it was and right. why it was and what the, the method of action was and all of that. So you were in there how, as it was being done. I imagine there's right. a pipeline of chemicals too. It's not just what's being used now. It's what's being developed for the future. Right. And, you know, beyond just the, the stuff in the bottle, um, what words are we putting on a bottle make, um, either a technician's job easier, the application safer, or, um, the understanding of the potential for the product better. And all of that goes into this, you know, wonderful product someone sees nine years later, but, um, essentially everything that influences how a material gets used, um, I got Mm -hmm. to see. And that was, that was really, really great experience. It's uh, talking with individuals who've been in pest and pest management and control for a long time. And just understanding and reading about the industry, it seems like that the chemical side, the app, like what's applied has, has evolved significantly over time where, you know, it used to be just like throwing chemicals down and just like you know, nuking things oh, out, spray and pray, boom, like bang, it's all gone. Maybe they never come back again. Cause like the half-life on that sucker is just like hanging around. There has been a shift and move to these chemicals becoming obviously effective, but an efficient, but more safe, I would imagine. And less, um, you know, to your earlier beginning point about protecting, you know, veterinary protecting like people, people and the animals and things. You can't just be doing that. So like, is that, is that, is that a fair assessment that they've been moving towards still efficiency and effectiveness, but keeping an eye more on safety and making sure that it's, you know, you can go into a house and do something and it's not going to harm. Yeah. I think I can speak, you know, beyond even just Renekill Terminex, but every pest control company that's listening, um, our priority is to keep our customers safe, right? Whether Mm -hmm. that's protecting them from insects or just protecting them um, in general. And so taking the best parts of these formulations and saying, man, that was really successful, meaning it lasted longer, or that was really successful in that the technician didn't experience paresthesia when he did an application and then saying, but here's what we also know about active ingredient or delivery methods or use patterns allows us to create the best case scenario for the materials. And, you know, in my current position, um, I'm able to take that knowledge and say, here, I'm also going to not just share the information, be able to choose the best materials for my own team. 
Right. I, I that that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So you because because you are a consumer of knowledge. You are trained to consume knowledge, break it down, distill it down, and then find the those little the what what in that big. It's like da, it's like data analysis on big metadata analysis almost. Like you got a bunch of stuff, and job is to find the things in the stuff, and that requires a skill set. I was actually wanted to ask you about that. Aside from you. you Thank you for completing the journey to where you are at Renekill Terminex now. Um, and I know there's a lot of work you're doing in the technical uh, side, but your your skill set, I imagine, is da- da- analytical. From just going through a PhD program, you're taught and your world is in data analysis, getting data back, understanding it. Tell me how you use that ability, because one of the things that I, I'm, I, I'm in marketing now, I do growth marketing. And people will be like, why the hell, how the, you know, you neuroscience, like what? And I said, the greatest asset that I have is my ability to consume data, distill it, draw a conclusion and be actionable on it. And that goes for any field you're in. So tell me a little bit of how you use that as an advantage and how you use that in your, in your job now. Oh yeah. So I think, so the word that I use the most is called translating. Translating. <laughs> it's that that tra- that data and that analytical side of your brain is always going, but what comes out of your mouth is the other side of right. your brain. And so communicating with both sides of your brain is really important in roles like ours because you're constantly translating the information that needs to be delivered to whatever audience you're talking about, right? Yeah. And yeah. that is probably the the most important part of my job because um, technical services specifically is kind of that group of translators in that we take the information from leadership and say, all right, field teams, this is what you need to know about this priority that leadership has and what it means. Maybe it's um, efficiency of an SOP or cost savings related to material usage. But we also turn around and we say, all right, team, what do you, what, okay, field team, what do you want um, us to know about um, this service? And they may say, this isn't working or this is working great. And I take it back to leadership and I say, distilled down, mm-hmm. this is what this means and this is what field teams need. Mm-hmm. And that's technical services in a nutshell. Okay. All right. Distill down, translate. That's good. I like that. That's good. Um, you you mentioned, you alluded to this before, you talked about um, when you were talking to, I think you said, you might've said students or you're talking to people about social media. And I know that you do participate in this with 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 Terminex Rendical. I know that your your social media is a thing that you do. You do it well. Um, where did where did that come from? Is this just this your desire to this translate, if you will, this desire to communicate? And social media is the way to do such things. And you have a unique sort of moniker, if you will, at um, Doctor Bugs. I'm just saying that you know um, <laughs> you can you can use that as a marketing Cassie the Bug Doc. Tell me where that came from and like you know, how that's developed for you over time. Yeah. So I often have to have like this conversation with people who only know me as Cassie, the bug talk that I do have a day job (laughs) in technical services, you know, doing all the things we've just talked about, but that Cassie, the bug doc, that brand on all the social platforms is something that, um, I use to, to communicate because I think it's important. So, um, when I do talk about social media to groups, I say, look, the first step you have to do is determine what platforms you're going to stand on, which platforms are you going to support with your message in any social setting. Mm -hmm. And one of mine is, um, not gatekeeping information. I think that there's so much emphasis placed on, um, who's an entomologist and who isn't, you know, it's like, if you want to be an entomologist and you want to study bugs, like join us, 
Let's share this Join information. Right. Like I, this, this industry can only benefit from having more people obsessed with learning more. So you're saying so, people will, will, will try to gatekeep in a way where this is where we, this is us. We yeah. don't want people coming in. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Maybe to gatekeep the, the science behind what we do. Okay. And I just, I don't necessarily believe in that because again, the more that um, we can share information and perfect our craft, right. perfect our trade, then we all benefit. We all need to be good Correct. at pest control. Correct. Uh, well, this is the, the desire probably to get the most, have the most likes and the most follows. And so maybe you had, there's that element of like, I am the bug doc and there's that. But your, I, I would imagine just from the brief little interaction we're having, your desire is to just talk about what you do and talk about what it means to be a bug doc and how you're using that. All of the stuff that maybe you didn't realize or know about you, like you were saying to me, like until you got into those classrooms and you saw it, right? Now this is a forum where you can, and I imagine you talk to, you go back to Texas A&M or you go to schools or you give talks about this. So maybe this is a way for you to be like, no, this is cool. There's still a lot of opportunity here. You should check this out. Absolutely. Like making insects cool again, making this industry cool again is, is the priority. And, you know, it's not just talking about um, recruiting and retention into this industry, but also reminding our consumers that pest control is important, that it is a, um, a service that can make your, your home healthier, your business safer, whatever it may be um, as, as a trade industry. But yeah, I do get the opportunity to speak to students. Um, I think one of my most recent was um, a class in allied health meaning all these these um, students were going to those allied health mm -hmm. um, fields and they didn't realize how they interact with pesticides every day or the way that pest control played a role in their 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 food their food chain or um, in their daily lives and it's it's really eye-opening for a lot of people who just never had to pay attention to it yeah, that that's great. Like that, you know, you're you're making like a difference. You really are. You're you're Thanks. shining a light on something that they might not know, and there might be a bunch of people that say I don't care, but there'll be a few that do, and that will matter, right? And you will sort of Absolutely. change possibly the direction of them, and and I love that. I used to. I don't have the time, unfortunately. Now I say when I when I when I as I get older and I have more time, I want to go back to teaching. I would teach um, after academics, and I got into this. I still taught at a local college. I taught freshman biology lab and I was asked if I wanted to teach like a little bit more advanced stuff, but I said, no, I want, I want young kids who are in biology for all different reasons. And I want to be able to engage them hands-on because I feel like that's where I can make the most influence because they're young, they're confused. They think they know what they want. Maybe they know, but maybe they don't. And it was so fun for me there because I would get to, I would ask them those questions and though I would, I would sort of everything I was doing in the lab, I would relate to something in the real world. Like, wow, you know, like we're talking about Mendelian genetics and, you know, the classic squares and the, the peas and all this stuff. But you tell them like, here's what's going on in the world of genetics nowadays. These are the things that are happening and you can just see like, they're like, wow. So um, I, I remember experiencing that. It was very fulfilling and it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about any of that because it wasn't for that. It was purely to interact and hopefully, you know, spur a scientist down the road who's going to look back yeah. on that on that lab and was like, "Man, I remember I remember Dr. Fasano's biology lab, and he was telling me about like the crime labs and how they're using genetics, and that's really cool. So like, it really is is really a great thing to inspire young people. Yeah, it's um, I, I have said before, but you. Um I don't necessarily need people in those classes to become an entomologist, right. um, but I definitely want them to know when to call an entomologist. Right. right. 
Like, what are they actually, what are they doing? What is the real, what is the thing? They may go into, you know, quality control for um, a a food manufacturing plant and say, I understand the importance of pest control in this supply chain, you know, or they may own a home one day and understand the importance of a termiticide pretreatment. Right, right. Um, um, What I want to, I've just lost my train of thought. I wanted to ask you, oh, the social media thing. So here's an interesting uh, way to, to take this. So before my current role, I would mark. I was marketing at an agency. We, were t- we we marketed for a lot of pest control companies, and it was frequently a discussion about social media as as a pest control owner in a shop of of all sizes. And it's time consuming, right? To 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 have a consistent, which is the most important piece of social, have a consistent um, program in social media. You need to really be on it, right? You need to have good content. You have to be engaging. You have to be willing to post routinely. It's 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 work. And amongst all of the other things that are going on in a in, in a company, um, you know, it's it tends to get put on the back burner. It's not that important. It's not going to directly drive leads. You know, we just want leads in, leads in, leads in. Um, I would always push back and say no, but you're you're you know, you want to have a face. You want to be able for people to see who you are and understand. If I'm I'm listening to this, I'm a lawn care company. I'm a pest control company. I'm an owner. I'm a tech. Whatever I am. What do you feel about the importance of social media as a brand in this space? And when someone says, I don't have the time, what what can you say to that that can help them think differently about it? Yeah, um, it is important to have a face to a brand. Um, people in general follow people rather than brands yep. these days. So, ha- you know, having, having a brand is um, – important. However, identifying what platforms, I mentioned platforms Mm. earlier, but what platforms you want to stand on for your business can help you generate content. But I guess my biggest, like three things is, um, be authentic. Um, Mm. I, I hear people a lot of times say, Hey, I need help with social media. Does anybody know um, where I can hire a ghostwriter? Mm. Um, and I'm afraid that often can turn into, um, lack of transparency. If someone you know, not a part of your company is writing content. Um, it, it, it can come off as, um, disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other pieces of advice, um, would be remember that everything is com- is content. Mm-hmm. You can film or take a picture. And even if you find it elementary, um, your customers may, may very likely find it entertaining or mm-hmm. informational. Um, so third, don't be afraid to be a little bit of um, vulnerable whenever you hit post it. Um, again, it's all a learning process. The The algorithms change and the consumer need changes constantly. But the more that you interact with it, the easier it gets. You relate the best to yourself, if you will. So if you can see a human side or something there you know, that your brain wants to recall and see things. It's, it's much better. It responds much better to familiarity, right? So if it can feel an emotion or see something there, it's going to resonate. There's a lot of stuff flooding feeds. So it has to, you have to be able to capture that attention and and bring it. You mentioned the channels. Um, Do you have a particular way that you would recommend to me, if I'm thinking about that question you just posed, identify your channels? How do I do that? Is it just, what's my audience? Is that where you start? That's, that's generally where I would start. What is, what is your goal of social media, social media? Is it to attract customers? Um, and then where do you believe your customers lie? You know, right now, a lot of our buying power in call in, um, in pest control lies on Facebook still. Mm -hmm. However, our emerging buying power is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, 
now, and then you also have to say, all right, which channels talk to each other the best, which information translates well. Um, and you can begin to monopolize the time you're spending on multiple channels. However, first piece of advice, don't try to jump onto Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, right. Twitter, all, everything, all everything yeah. at once you will, you will quit. Yeah. <laughs> now people will, what people will do is they will they will do all of that and they will take one piece of content and they push it across all content. Cause like, that's easy. You can just post to everything as opposed to what we call differentiated content, which is on Instagram, you're going to see this side of Dr. Fasano. And then on Facebook, you're going to see this side of me. And what's important about that is they know exactly what they're getting and where to get it from. Cause you want to be able to build, like you said, there are different people segmentation on different. Is that, do you subscribe to that philosophy rather than a press play and go everywhere? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, if I have an idea, I actually have a, a chart, um, that I keep a record of things that I need to record. Video is my, is my type of media. I will post pictures, but video is just the best way I like to communicate. And I'll say, all right, which channels am I going to cater this for before I ever record it? Because those are the people I want to talk to. Mm -hmm. If it's a highly technical topic, I'll put it on TikTok, but it's not, I know going in that it's never going to get enough traction on TikTok. However, once I post it on LinkedIn and I'm surrounded by my people right. <laughs> in pest control, right. it will get 10,000 views right. in a very short amount of time because right. those people crave that information. Right. They want it. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're putting it there because you know, they will. That's, that's your whole idea of no your channel, identify your channel and the audience of your channel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny, I, I go through this, I've got, had this conversation and also I, it's not, it's not for everybody to do, I will say, right? Like there's, I think there is some, everybody, there's some, for a company, you can always find somebody who would be good at it, but not everyone is going to thrive in, I feel like on a social, because it, you have to get in front of a camera, you have to be able to articulate, you have to be able to communicate and that's not everybody's game. Um, but identify, it doesn't have to be the owner of the company, right? It doesn't have to be that one person. It, you can find some, a tech, I always told my, like my shops and my companies like, hey, you have a fun tech, somebody that's got great personality. He's on the, he's in the truck. That's cool. That's fun. It's like a live thing. You know, I'm going out here. This is what a coming time. People would want to, cause it's fun and you'll get lay people in there, not just people in the industry. You'll get homeowners. And that's what you're looking for to be like, oh man, crazy Chris is out in his truck. He's going to go, there's a bunch of wasps. He's going to go. So like, you can always look for that person. Don't try to just, you know, Bob, you're going to do it, right? It's a personality, right? It's not just anybody's going to grab a, grab a camera and go. Yeah. I think it's personality combined with a high level of emotional intelligence, being able to identify what would, what is important to those different you know, customer bases or viewership, viewer bases. Um, like that putting way. yourself in their shoe, right? Like, what do they Correct. want? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Identifying what is, what the customer, for example, will find important in the content. So, um, see, I knew this would happen when, with us as we got into conversation. I'm looking at the time, and we're we're about, we're getting close. So let me let me bring it back to um, you know the 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 goal I was mentioning to you the the field famous podcast is we were like what I love to do. This is just my biases in neuroscientists. I feel like through communication and through your journey and you talking to me and me talking to you. People will take from that. They'll get inspired and they'll learn rather than I didn't ever wanted the show to be tell me about all the great things that you're doing and why it's really important to me over here because people are going to resonate differently. But what I do want, because you have such an expertise and you've been in this space from a, from a different, a very different side, which is so cool that most people might not. In the world, you mentioned the Super Bowl of, of pest of pest control, a pest world where you go to learn and see 
Um, this year, you know, what if if I'm a you know, I'm a pest controller, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in the space, I'm going to people's homes or whatever whatever my business is and relating and I'm listening to this. Um, what are some things that you can offer to the to someone listening that they would want to take back and put it into their business and put it into their job and the, we can stick in the world of pest control to really sort of go? You know, the people will say, this year is my year. I'm gonna really make it, I wanna focus on some things and I really wanna shore that up. If, if I was asking you that question, what are some things you would you would tell me? I think um, a broad answer um, is, and I push every person on my team to do this now, is pick one thing a year to selfishly learn and get better at. Um, meaning within your company, you do have um, objectives that you want to be, you know, maybe grow mosquito revenue by X, Y, Z. Um, but what is the next thing that you want to do? And then how can you learn more about it? Maybe it is something like social media where right. you can say, I'm going to attend a class and, and grasp onto the soft skills that will in turn create revenue for my company indirectly. You know, think about, um, where you can selfishly learn something new this year and, and make sure it's a part of the next, um, 10 and a half months. <laughs> but again, it's, you know, it's, what's great about that answer. It was broad, but it's, 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 it's very true to what you've been saying this whole time, which is identify, find the thing, like make sure you're thinking, you know, it's that awareness. A lot of self-awareness is what I'm hearing. Understand who your audience is. Ask those okay. questions. Very, it's very academic, very academic of you. Ask those questions um, and pick that one thing because you're right. You can get so caught up in the things so you can try to do a lot of things, but best to try to identify one thing. Um, and what if what if somebody's listening? They're like, "Well, it's not up to me, right? I'm just I'm just a technician, and like they're going to tell me to do uh, these things, and I just got to do them." So so how can I just pick that thing? What what would you say as to a counter to that? Well, I think personal growth is just as important as professional growth, and so even if it is not, um, whenever you're if you are. Um, a technician, which is to me the most important part of our industry, because you are the frontline face of every company that may be listening to, if you're not in the decision-making process for that professional growth for your company, do something professionally grow or sorry, grow personally in a way that will benefit the company professionally. Right. Oh, like it's proving your value as a person, as an employee, right? Like, you know, you're going to do your job every day. Yes. But what else can you bring? What are you learning? What are you taking home? Right. That's true. Sometimes you get caught up in the world of the professional and you forget about, forget about yourself. Right. right? Um, and just because we're halfway through February doesn't mean you can't start now. That's true. Uh, you still have a lot of year left. I have a lot of year left. Um, so the way I want to end this uh, interview is I have some rapid fire questions and I put these together and I've been asking a lot of the guests the same questions. So it's going to be like a this or that kind of thing. And you're just the first thing that comes to your mind. You're going to tell me what it is. All right. So we're going to start it. with that. You ready? Here we go. Yeah. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark chocolate. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Summer or winter? Summer. Morning or evening? Mornings. Salty or sweet? Ooh, salty. Same. Uh, favorite day of the week? Mondays. Mondays. That's a yep. topic for another another day. <laughs> Nick, a nickname you used to be called or are um, called? I guess we have one, but is there? Cassie the Bug Cassie Dog. Cassie the Bug Dog. Would you <laughs> rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Every language in the world. Every language in the world. How long does it take you to get ready for your day? An hour. An hour. 
I'm, we're about a half hour is the average I've been getting. Scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? One being the worst, 10 being the best driver that exists. I think it depends on who you ask, but I'm a, I'm a pretty <laughs> nine and a half. <laughs> um, invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Rats or mice? I'm good at both. Rats. I bet you a lot of people wouldn't give that answer. Rats, bees or wasps? Bees. Bees are the favorite answer. They help us feed the world. The bees are always the favorite. If you were really hungry, would you eat a bug? Yes. And is this podcast the best podcast you've ever appeared on? <laughs> Today, yes. Today, I'm yes. <laughs> That's such a good academic answer. All right. So I want to, uh, you know, I'm going to thank Cassie for doing this. I love, by the way, that it's people are saying to me like, well, do you want to get those rapid fire questions more? But like, no, I just want random questions because I love the no thought questions. It gives me, it's so it, you tell yes. a lot from someone when they do that. Um, before I close, I was just about to close this. Can you give some info? People are like, wow, this is really interesting. Uh, Cassie's a really interesting person. I, she's on social. Where can they find you? Where can they go learn more about you, see your content? Perfect. Thanks. Um, you are welcome. I would, I would love to connect with everyone on LinkedIn if you're, um, if you're so inclined, but you can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Cassie the Bug Doc. She is Cassie the Bug Doc. Bug Doc. Thank you so much for joining us. And Ron, remind everyone out there, please subscribe. You can go to BeFeelFamous.com also to find more information. Tell your friends, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And remember, your success is fame worthy. So come tell your story, Cassie. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah.